You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Peter Beagle at SFNSF. Thank you for joining me, Peter. Oh, it's a pleasure, especially because anything to do with KUSP gets my attention immediately. Peter, your new story was just delightful. Very, very funny. Now, where will we see this appear? It will appear in an anthology of dragon stories. I don't know what it's called except dragons, but it's coming out either, I suppose, late this year or early next. Who's the publisher? Lord, I can't remember. Um, I'm not. These things blur. I can. I'm blaming it on being old. Might be subterranean. Might be. Actually, I think. I think. Um, it'll come to me. Not Gordon Van Gelt. Gardner Dozois. I think Gardner is the editor, but I can't think of the publisher. Sounds like a maybe a Bantam or Dell or Tor. Likely. I wish I remembered. So uh, this, uh, this story posits a very interesting idea, talking about the, the actual reality of, of what writers write. And it's also set in your hometown. <laughs> and I imagine this dragon was perhaps coming after you? Um, yes, I didn't think about it one way or the other, but I was thinking of the earliest version of The Last Unicorn, which has a dragon in it. In fact, that's how the unicorn finds out that the other unicorns have disappeared from a dragon that's had a very bad encounter with the 20th century. And the the passage in which the dragon brings himself to tears talking about what people taste like now as opposed to what they used to taste like and children being the best eating of all, I think that's out of that very earliest version written in the summer of 1962 when I was 23. Wow, you wrote The Last Unicorn when you were 23? I started The Last Unicorn. There's a difference. Um, I got about 85 pages into it and then just went dead, hit the wall. I didn't know what to do next. I didn't know where the story was going. And I just dropped it and wrote a nonfiction book about coming across country with one of my best childhood friends on a couple of motor scooters. It's really how I got back to California this day. And... It was only afterwards, by now I'm in my late 20s, a good five years later, that my wife, the mother of my children, sort of nudged me into picking it up because she wanted to know what happened next. And I went back almost to the beginning and started over. Now, um, when you write, uh, could you talk about how these things, how what you write seems real because one of the things about the story is that you put this dragon in, in a context you you just drop it in but once it's there it's it's incontrovertibly real and you really nail it down with a lot of real world uh, reactions it's a curious thing but in fantasy paradoxically you need to pay more attention to real detail than you do in a straight mainstream story about the 21st century where people take a lot of things for granted. You have to, if you're going to get your reader to allow you that there are such things as dragons, then you have to make the dragon's surroundings 
as real as possible. In this case, an intersection I know very well, um, you need to imagine, feel what it would be like to have a dragon blocking that intersection, particularly with construction going on. I try to make, the more fantastic a story is, the more, the more I try to ground it in real-world details. I'm very conscious of that. Are, are you working on a novel? I mean, that's, you could get a novel out of that story, I would think. I have two novels, really. One of them has dragons in it. One is a young adult book, or at least that's how they'll market it, I'm sure, called I'm Afraid You've Got Dragons. And the other is a, a novel I really wrote several years ago, and I'm just going through one more time, one last pass. But it's the first story I've written set in the Seattle area, where I lived for six years in the 80s. It takes me a long time to write about places where I have lived. I can never do it while I'm there. Well, that's interesting. Why do you think that is? I don't know. There's a saying, I think it's Coleridge or Wordsworth, one or the other, who referred to poetry as emotion recollected in tranquility. It's a matter of distance, primarily. Um, I pay more attention to real-world details when I'm having to recall them. I did, did several stories recently for podcast for the Green Man Review, which is a wonderful online magazine. And there are five stories, all set, though each in a different year, in the New York I grew up in, the New York of the early middle 1950s. And it was amazing how clearly the surroundings and feel and reality of those times came back. I'd never written about them before, not really, except for my first novel, A Fine and Private Place, which is very much the New York I heard under my window. But it had been over 40 years since I did that again, and yet it was all there waiting for me. Uh, perhaps more real than my daily surroundings, entirely possible. Well, um, this idea of uh, emotion recollected in tranquility, I, I, I like this, and I think that it that also speaks to one of the strengths of your writing is you even though you're working in with lots of elements of the fantastic you're the emotions you you create and that you have your characters uh that, that exist in your characters for example in the dragon that dragon was almost like somebody i knew you have to do that or at least i do it's it's no fun working with cardboard cutouts or stereotypes you have to make them real in some way or I don't think consciously about forcing a character to become original. It's not that. It's just that part of it's thinking about it, certainly, and having done this for so long. And part of it's just feeling um, how real would a dragon actually be in an Oakland intersection and a dragon that's really had a very rough time trapped in a world that didn't belong in and reduced finally, as it says, to out of all the emotions I might have had, all that's left to me is revenge. And, well, my significant other once tapped my head, my head and said a little sadly, all those people partying in there, and I'm not invited. 
And I had to tell her, I'm not always invited either. Sometimes they go on and party without me. Could you talk a little bit about writing over the long term? I mean, you've had an incredible career. I, starting at 19 with a, a best-selling book, and, and here you are in the 21st century with continuing best-selling books and, and, and high-profile awards. Tell us about that, how that feels. I wouldn't call me best-selling, just that um, a couple of books at least stay in print. And my, my line has always been, you can't be immortal if you're not in print. So many good books go out of print, disappear forever, or the next door to forever. But I always knew there was nothing else I was supposed to do. It's a paradox. Because on the one hand, I don't believe in a teleological universe. I don't believe, I think it's Tennyson who writes about believing in one God, one law, one element, and one far-off divine event toward which the whole creation moves. I don't believe in any of that, nor in an afterlife, nor in any purpose. And at the same time, I know I'm supposed to be doing this. Whether or not I was put here to do it, I know it. And you never get it right. I'm very clear of that, too. There's always something more you could do. But I'm just grateful still to be here at the age of almost 70 when so many other wonderful writers have passed on, given up, been taken from us. And all I really know is showing up for work. It's a phrase I use a lot. I've been speaking with Peter Beagle. He's the author of The Last Unicorn. Thank you for joining me, Peter. As I said, it's been a pleasure, and hello to my three children in Santa Cruz. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.